Amen. Well, I would invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 84 for our scripture reading this morning. Psalm 84. Psalm 84, hear the word of the Lord. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God, even the sparrow. Finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen. So far the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask for his help now. Our Father, as we consider your word, Lord, would you send your spirit to open our hearts to receive Jesus Christ here in your word. Oh Lord, may we see him high and lifted up. May we see Christ and him crucified to save us, Lord. Would you grant faith where there is no faith? Would you increase faith where there is faith? Lord, build us up in your spirit, we pray. And help your servant now as he proclaims your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been said before, and it's true, home is where the heart is. Home is where the heart is. And it's a hard thing if you've ever moved, you've left home. You might find yourself feeling a bit homesick. I know I've felt homesick before. If you've ever dated long distance, it can be difficult. You may be home, but your heart is a few states over, and you miss the person who you love. You don't feel at home. Being homesick isn't fun, and we've all felt it before. And Psalm 84 is really speaking about that feeling of homesickness, and showing us and directing us as God's people, where is our home? Where should we be looking 
for satisfaction? Where should we be looking to find home? The answer is with God. Because, brothers and sisters, there is nowhere else we should rather be than in the presence of the Lord. And we'll look at this psalm in three points this morning as we consider how God fulfills that need we have for a home. Uh, The first we'll look at is how we ought to long to be in the tabernacle. We ought to long for the tabernacle. And then, secondly, we'll see how Christ is the tabernacle. Christ fulfills the tabernacle. And then, finally, by way of application, I'd like us to consider how might we today love the tabernacle. And so, as we open the psalm, we see, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy. They cry out to God. You know, oftentimes when you read through the Psalms, they start off with discouragement. They start off with a problem. Maybe the psalmist is being oppressed by enemies, and then he has to deal with that oppression and and encourage himself in the Lord. And then at the end, he ends up praising God. Well, this psalm isn't like that, is it? The psalmist is thrilled with the prospect of going to church. He can't wait to go to church and praise God. He's excited. His soul, his heart, his flesh, everything is longing to be with God and to sing God's praises. And his problem is that he's not in church. His problem is that he's not in the dwelling place of God at this moment. And he wishes that he was. You know, as I was reading this psalm, I couldn't help but remember what it was like during COVID. When for a time... Many of the churches shut down. That was very difficult. I think many of us wanted to be in church. Many of us wished that we could come to the house of the Lord and and be with the saints and praise the Lord together. And yet, because of that sickness, because of providential hindrances, we were not able to be together as a church. That was discouraging. And then when the doors opened up again, I'm sure many of us came right back. And what an encouragement to be here praising God together. It's a wonderful thing, uh, but we shouldn't take it for granted. We should be encouraged by the presence of the Lord in worship. And the psalmist was. He's calling upon God. And notice the way he calls on God here. He calls God the living God. That idea of life, of the living God. It's really central to this psalm. God's presence is where life is happening in this psalm. The two are connected intimately. We have God's presence and we have life strung together in one here in this psalm. In that way, God's presence is something like the Garden of Eden. It's where life is flowing out from. It's where life is as it should be. To be in the presence of the Lord. We see him call on the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Boys and girls, that means it's God's covenant name. I am that I am. I will be with you. Yahweh, Jehovah. That's the capital letters. But he's not only that, he's the Lord of hosts. And I wonder, what does that mean to you, boys and girls? What does it mean for God to be the Lord of hosts? I always wondered about that when I was little. You know, we don't talk this way today. It's the psalmist here saying God is the God of 
having people over to his house, having company over. Is that what a host is? Well, no. A host, it has to do with a great multitude when you see that in your Bibles. The Lord of hosts. He's the God of trillions upon trillions. The covenant Lord of trillions upon trillions. A million bajillion people belong to God. That's encouraging, isn't it? Our God's a big God. He's the Lord, not just of a little church, the whole church, a host of Christians and angels belong to God. I find that very encouraging. And how big do you think his dwelling place must be? It must be infinitely huge. We serve a great God. We serve the Lord of hosts. The psalmist continues to say that even the birds belong to this God, the God of hosts. You know, in the Bible, birds are not seen as very important. They're kind of, it's for the birds we say that today, right? It's for the birds. It's not that important. That's the attitude of people in Bible times as well. If you wanted to buy a sparrow in Christ's time, you could buy a sparrow for less than a penny. Less than a penny to buy a sparrow. They were practically worthless. And yet, the birds are not turned away from God's house, are they? The Lord of hosts welcomes them in. The worthless sparrow is accepted at the altar of God. The swallow is a symbol of restlessness. The swallow is always fluttering this way and that. It's never at rest. And yet, when it comes to the altar of God, when it comes into the Lord's house, what do we see? The restless one, the swallow, has a nest. begins to flourish. It settles down. It raises its young. It's a beautiful picture of life flourishing at the house of the Lord in God's presence. And the psalmist realizes that, and he goes on in verse 4 to say that blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you today, if you are here and you feel worthless, if you are here and you feel restless, you feel like life is pointless, this is where you need to be. This is what you were made to do. We were created to worship God and enjoy Him forever. That is the purpose of life. And as long as we're kicking against that, we're going to struggle in this world. We always will have struggles in this world. But life is happening at the altar of God. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Can't wait to get to church, says the psalmist. Well, he goes on and he moves on to announce that those who have their strength in the Lord are blessed. Those who sing his praises are blessed. Those who have their strength in the Lord are blessed. They go from strength to strength. And the strong in the Lord have a highway to Zion in their hearts. And what does that mean? Where is Zion, boys and girls? Zion is where the temple was. It's where God's dwelling place was manifest in the Old Testament. If you wanted to get into contact with God, you had to go to Zion. You had to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. He had to go to temple. And the psalmist is saying that those who are strong in the Lord have a highway to Zion where? In their heart. That even though they may not be walking there physically, they have that highway 
into God's presence there in their heart. They're constantly thinking about the Lord, meditating on his law day and night as the Psalm 1 man, finding encouragement in the prayer closet, in their devotions. What does the highway to Zion look for us? What's it look like for us today? You know, I've heard it said before, there's two types of men. One man will be sitting in church thinking about fishing. Another man will be sitting in his boat fishing thinking about church. That's what the highway to Zion looks like. Constantly thinking about the Lord. What does the highway to Zion look look like for us, boys and girls? I think the highway to Zion would not look like this. Sunday morning, you got to go to church, and what are we doing? Five more minutes, Mom. i gotta, I got to finish my level on my video game. No, I don't think that's the highway to Zion. I think the highway to Zion is, let me get ready to go to church. I can't wait to go and worship God. It's where I want to be. In fact, it might look like me going to bed a little early so that I am well-rested to worship God. I got my priorities straight, centering my week and my life around God. That's what the highway to Zion looks like in our hearts. Well, the psalmist goes on and he reminds us that the highway to Zion also includes this path through the valley of Baca. I don't know if we know what that is. I had to look it up. The valley of Baca, where is that? We don't really know where the valley of Baca is. It seems to be a real place, uh, but it's obscure. It's been lost to history. It seems to be a dry place, a dusty place, a difficult place to go through that these pilgrims would walk through on their way to worship in Jerusalem. But you know, there's something else that we do know about the Valley of Baca, and it's that the name is a pun in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for weeping is bakaing, so to speak. And so the psalmist here is poetically saying that as we go to the highway, as we march this highway to Zion to be with the Lord, yes, it does go through the valley of weeping. A dry place, a place of testing, a place of trial, a place of struggles. And yet, The poetic picture that the psalmist paints here is that as we're marching through the desert of this world on our way to the Lord, the tears of the saints in the valley of weeping water the earth. That the desert place would blossom. That there would be fruit to eat. That there would be flowers growing there in the wilderness. Literally, the place is covered with blessings with pools of blessings. The life of those in communion with God, brothers and sisters, is a source of life to the world around them. Christ said, you are the salt of the earth to His people. Even though we are deprived, maybe we're struggling, we're weeping over not being able to go to a temple as we desire, that struggle and those tears become a source of life So that the psalmist could say, we go from strength to strength, even in the valley of the shadow of death, even through all the difficulties in this veil of tears, we go from strength to strength and appear in Zion before our God. 
And as the psalmist sits remembering the glory of God's dwelling place, he comforts himself with that picture of the well-watered valley of Bacah, and yet he's unfulfilled by it. Why? Because he did not set out to set up camp in the desert. It's like he's wrapping himself up in a blanket of tears, is the picture. He knows that he was made for worshiping God. He knows that he was made to worship God in God's presence. He was made to commune with God, and he wants to be there. He wants to be in Zion, in the dwelling place of God at the temple, and he cries out to the Lord, multiplying God's names. Notice that Jehovah, Lord God of hosts, God of Jacob. Boys and girls, why do you think he's using so many names there as he's calling on the Lord? Lord God of hosts, God of Jacob, hear my prayer, let me come home. It's like he's saying, first name, middle name, last name. I'm serious. Let me come home. Not just Lord, not just God. Lord God of hosts, God of Jacob, I need you. I'm serious. I'm earnest. Let me come home and dwell in your presence. He asks God to look on the face of his anointed one. And who was the anointed one in Israel? The anointed one was the king. The king is the anointed one. And so he's asking that the Lord would have favor on the king of Israel, who was a shield to his people. The king was to protect God's people. He was to protect the dwelling place, the temple of God, and make sure that the roads that the pilgrims were taking were safe. It would be difficult to go to church if you were afraid of getting mugged, right? It would be difficult to go to church if the church building got burnt down, wouldn't it? And so the psalmist is saying, Lord, have favor on your king. May he be a shield to us so that we could come fellowship with you. And he comes to that well-known verse in verse 10, one of my favorites. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, than dwell in the tents of wickedness. It's a beautiful verse to memorize this week. And, and having just prayed to that high and, for the high and mighty king, right, the Lord's anointed, now what is he saying? I would rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be the lowly one. I'd rather be homeless, is basically what he's saying. The doorkeeper would be just on the cusp of coming into the house. It's like, here's the house. He's right here, living under the awning, practically. I would rather live under the awning than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Rather be homeless and have God than have a mansion in hell. You think of the Israelites as they were traveling through the wilderness. They said, we would rather have you, Lord, Have your presence with us, then have the promised land. Remember that? God's presence is such a powerful thing. All the blessings, all the promises, it means nothing without God. We need Him. We need His presence in our life. Brothers and sisters, that desire for God, it creates integrity in our hearts so that the riches of hell, the riches of this world, they can't touch the blessing of knowing Christ. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As that old hymn says.
Then the psalmist goes on and he finishes up here in verses 11 and 12. And we see that God is a sun and a shield. As the sun, God is the source of life. You think of what plants need to grow, boys and girls. They need water. So you have the tears of the saints. And they have God as the sun. He's the source of life. But not only that, he's the shield. He's the protector of life. The ultimate shield. The king may be a shield, but God is the ultimate shield. He's the provider and protector of life. He will bless those who trust in him or have faith in him and will bestow favor and honor, or better yet, glory and grace. He will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly, from those who have the highway to Zion in their heart, who set their heart on God. That's the person who trusts in Jesus. Who's the one who's blessed? Is it the one who works for it? No, it's the one who trusts, the one who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's what the psalm is saying on the surface. That's what it's talking. It's talking about the tabernacle. But brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the tabernacle. He fulfills the tabernacle. And, you know, if it was just about the tabernacle, boys and girls, what were we to do? That would mean that we would all have to take a pilgrimage. We would all have to get plane tickets to go to Israel and take a little trip to go to the temple and worship God there. Of course, we don't have to do that. That raises a question. What do we do with the Old Testament? I think a lot of Christians can get confused by the Old Testament today. I've heard many people say, when you call them on sin or something like that, maybe you've had this experience, they'll say, yeah, that's Old Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian. Have you heard this before? I'm old, that's Old Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian. Brothers and sisters, these people may be well-meaning, but they're confused. We ought to be whole Bible-believing Christians. The whole Bible is breathed out by God. We have to understand it rightly to be sure. But when the early church met, they didn't have the New Testament. They preached Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. Did you know that? Jesus Christ is on every page of Scripture, and he fulfills all of it. God is telling one story, boys and girls. He's not telling a bunch of little ones. It's all connected by Jesus Christ. On the road to Emmaus, he said, all the Scriptures, all the law and the prophets, they testify of me. And Christ is the tabernacle. If you make the temple about a brick-and-mortar temple, you know what you're doing. You're making it, it's like a VBS lesson. Okay, we know VBS lessons, flannel graphs. When you look at a flannel graph, it's not really about the flannel graph. It's not really about the skit that gets played out in VBS. Well, the temple was never really about the brick-and-mortar temple. It was about Jesus Christ and what he was coming to do for his people. If we make it about the brick-and-mortar temple, we're losing focus and making it about the VBS lesson. Christ is the tabernacle. Scripture says, In Christ the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell, and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us, says Scripture. In his body, heaven and earth were made one. Christ said he would destroy the temple and in three days rebuild it. And he was speaking about the temple of his body. When Christ died, what happened to the curtain of the temple? It was torn top to bottom, remember? Remember? 
Why did this happen? Because the book of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the new and living way. As his flesh was torn on the cross, he was the curtain. He is the sheepfold. He's the door. He's the way and the truth and the life. He's the only way back to the Father. The brick and mortar temple was just a VBS lesson pointing us to Jesus Christ who would fulfill what all the blood of bulls and goats could never do. He is salvation. He told the woman at the well, that Samaritan woman, in John 4 this much. Uh, He was calling this woman on sin, remember? She's at the well. And she says, let's change the subject. I don't like how you're calling out my sin. And so she says, wait a minute, Jesus, you're a Jew. Your people say we have to worship at Jerusalem. I'm a Samaritan. They say that we should worship at Mount Gerizim. Who's right? And what does Jesus say to her? Woman, the time is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the dwelling place of God. He's where we go to worship by the Spirit. So that now we don't have to travel to Palestine to do this anymore. We can do it right here where we are. That's a beautiful thing. And so as we read the psalm, we should read it with Christ in mind. So we say, how lovely is the dwelling place of God. How lovely is Jesus Christ. My soul longs, yes, faints for Christ. I cry out not to the dead God, but the living God, the God of resurrection. In Jesus Christ, the one who came into a dead and dying world to breathe new life as he was resurrected over the grave. And we need living hope, brothers and sisters. We need real hope. Hope that can conquer the grave. And we have it in Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the living God. He has overcome. And he holds the keys to death and hell in his hands. And he welcomes us to heaven. So the sparrow then, we see, the worthless one, finds acceptance at the altar. What altar are we talking about? Where does the worthless one in this life find acceptance? We find acceptance at the cross of Jesus Christ. The swallow, the restless one, finds acceptance. It finds rest for his soul, for her soul, at the cross of Jesus Christ. I couldn't help but think... The early church father, Augustine, has a quote, I was restless until I found my rest in you, O God. And yeah, he was a restless one. If you know the story of Augustine, if you've never read the confessions, he was something else. He was raised in a Christian home there in North Africa. His mother was kind of a fundamentalist, if you will. And he got very upset by this religion. And he went off. He went off the deep end. Went crazy. Went to the big city. Became a professor. Kind of lived this yuppie, frat boy lifestyle. Was partying on the weekends. Ended up joining a cult. Had a live-in girlfriend. Illegitimate child. And then, wham! God's grace got a hold of him. Became one of the most important Christians to ever live. 
A beautiful testimony. He was a swallow. He was a restless one. But he found rest at the cross of Jesus Christ. And he began to flourish. And brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is still in the business of giving rest to our restless souls. He's still in the business of receiving the worthless and the restless and welcoming us home. So find your rest in Him. And we see in verses 5 through 7, Blessed are those whose strength is in Christ, and whose heart is the highway to Zion. So they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. The Apostle Paul says that we don't only go from strength to strength, but brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we go from glory to glory. It's a wonderful thought. We've been raised together with Christ. And though we die, yet shall we live. We go from one degree of glory straight in to the glory of God, to be with our Heavenly Father at His right hand, our pleasures forevermore. It's where everything is right. That heavenly Zion. Brothers and sisters, we know as well that those who are on that highway to Zion will make it home because we believe in the perseverance of the saints. Don't we? He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He won't leave you in the valley of Baca. He'll shepherd you through the valley of the shadow of death. He's not a halfway shepherd. He's a whole way savior. But we make it home not by fatalism, do we? So we notice that the psalmist cries out, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. God of Jacob, hear my prayer. Bring me home. And so we cry out to the Lord in prayer, knowing that we don't rely on our own strength. We're not fatalists. We need God's help every hour. Every hour we need Him to shepherd us home to His presence. He's our ever-present help in time of need. He is our strength and our shield. He's the lifter of our heads. So don't rely on your own strength. Take heed, ye who think you stand, lest you fall. Apart from Him, we can do no thing. So go to Jesus Christ for help. And how do we pray? Is it based on our own worthiness? Of course not. Look upon the face of your anointed, your Messiah in the Hebrew. Look upon the face of your Messiah, literally, your Christ. Look upon Jesus Christ, Lord, and have mercy on me, not for my sake, but for His. That's how the psalmist is praying. Look to the cross. Save me based on Christ's blood, not my own self. And then, of course, verse 10. I'd rather be homeless and to have a home without Jesus. One day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Brothers and sisters, to know the nearness of God is unlike anything else. We have these seasons of refreshing, these seasons where God makes His presence known to you mystically, Spiritually, it's such an encouragement. It really is. It makes life worth living. But we don't feel that all the time, do we? There's many times where we feel like God is distant, where we feel like God may have abandoned us, 
But I want to tell you today, God has not abandoned his people because Jesus Christ was abandoned for us. And Jesus Christ says, Lo, I am with you not sometimes, not when you're feeling it, but lo, I am with you always. Always. Even in the hospital. I'm there with you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, even when you may not be feeling it. Trust God at His Word. He will never leave you nor forsake you. God's presence is with His people. He dwells with us always. Christ is the dwelling place of God. But at Pentecost, He poured out His Spirit upon us. So that the Apostle Paul could say, You are the temple of God. You're the dwelling place of God. God's Spirit indwells His people. He indwells the praises of His people. We're resurrected with Christ to spiritual new life. This is why we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as Scripture goes on, we see that the Lord of hosts' dwelling place is really growing. Right? It grows from the Middle East to cover the whole world. And then finally, in Revelation chapter 21, we see this theme picked up again as the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven, arrayed in white. And we hear a voice calling out from the throne, Behold, the dwelling place. Right? We've been talking about the dwelling place. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear, every bakaing away from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God is the God of life. Where He is, that's where life is. And He promises that things will get better when he comes to dwell with us in that new heavens and new earth. Brothers and sisters, there is nowhere else we should rather be than in the presence of the Lord. Well, this is all very wonderful, encouraging stuff, isn't it? But what are we to do with it? How are we to love the tabernacle today? I have just a few thoughts here at the end as far as application. First thing is that we should be longing to come to worship said it before, I'll say it again. We should long to come to church, to be in the communion of the saints, praising God's name. It's a privilege to be here. It really is. And COVID should have gotten us thinking this way. You know, watching on the computer screen, it's not the same. It's such an encouragement to be with God's people. Take advantage of corporate worship. Don't take it for granted. Be praying for your pastor as he prepares each week to preach the Word to you, be praying that God would encourage him and open your heart to the Word, that you might know the closeness of Jesus here in the sanctuary. The second application I'd make for you this morning, do you have the highway to Zion in your heart? Do you have a devotional life? Are you working through prayer? Do you seek the Lord in the prayer closet? calling upon Him for help in your hour of need? As well, do you have 
a Bible reading plan. I remember in Sunday school, one of the best things I ever got out of Sunday school was a Bible reading plan. And it started off small for me. Maybe you don't read your Bible right now. Maybe young people, you, you got it collecting dust. I want to encourage you. Get together with a Sunday school teacher. Get together with your parents and say, Mom, Dad, uh, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, I need to make a Bible reading plan. Maybe it'd just be a chapter a day. Maybe less. Maybe a couple times a week to start, and then you try to work up to it. Make a goal. Write it down. And then ask someone, Hey, ask me how it's going. Ask me how my Bible reading is going. You can encourage each other. That's what fellowship really is. Fellowship isn't just a time for cookies and coffee. It's a time to encourage each other and spur one another on to love and good works. So talk about this with each other. I would encourage you to do that. Get that highway to Zion going in your devotional life. Then as well, I thought of the Valley of Baca was the picture that really kept coming home to me. So I was looking at this psalm. It's the Valley of Weeping. Yet, so often I don't feel like I'm weeping as I miss the Lord's presence. Do you? I was so encouraged seeing that footage from Kentucky, there in Wilmore, Kentucky. People streaming to Kentucky to try to get in touch with the Lord's presence there at that revival meeting. What a beautiful thing to see. You know, these college students, people from all over the world, making a pilgrimage to worship God. That's an answer to prayer. It really is. We've been praying for this for so many years. I pray that the Lord would continue to do this. And I was just brought to tears watching this. It's so encouraging to see young people woken up to the glory of God, confessing sin, and finding peace at the cross of Jesus Christ and praising Him. I pray that that would continue, and I pray that we would long for the presence of God here in our midst, that people would be revived and refreshed, that we might have a season of renewal here in the Midwest as well. There's nothing like being in the presence of God. We need to pray that the Lord would send those tears that long for Him. That's where revival starts. It starts with longing for God and confessing sin and finding salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, Elijah was a man with a nature like unto ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and earth produced its fruit. Because the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. So brothers and sisters, let's pray that God would send the rain. Let's pray that God would send the tears of His people to water the dry and dusty valley that we're walking through so that the earth might flourish and sing of the presence of God in our midst so that we could open the door to those on the outside and say, come in. I want to introduce you to Jesus Christ. There's no privilege like being a doorkeeper at God's temple and evangelizing and introducing the lost to the Savior. Brothers and sisters, This is good news. God has come to dwell with us in Jesus Christ. He became homeless. You know, that the Son of Man 
has nowhere to lay his head. The birds have nests, the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus Christ left heaven to come and dwell in the tents of wickedness to redeem his people from all their sin and all their shame, to open the door to us that we might come home by grace alone to the Father and dwell in his presence forevermore. Brothers and sisters, home is where your heart is. Set your mind on things above where Jesus Christ is. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ was not ashamed to call us brother. We thank you that he took on flesh and dwelt among us, that we could be brought home to you. O Lord, encourage us with this. Help us to long to see you. May we put our hope in heaven where Jesus Christ is. Lord, we give you our hearts promptly and sincerely. O Lord, help us to have that highway to Zion in our hearts that we might desire you more and more each day. O Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.